haven't been up here in a few weeks. And I sure was glad to hear from our friend Paul Simpson last week where he started talking uh, about, or, or he continued talking about what we've been talking about, which is the idea of living the mission, that the church is on a mission, that, that um, the church is the agency, one of the agencies through which, uh, that's definitely not a very good word, agency, but it, it is um, what God is doing on the earth and how he is introducing himself. He's using you and I, he's using the body of Christ, and, and we ought to be thinking about the real value of the church and the place of the church in the world around us. Because there's a lot of different cultural ideas that can influence our thinking, but we want to go to the Word of God and we want to understand who the church is and what God is doing through the church. So I'm going to be talking about that today. If you are following along in, a, in the Bible, uh, a printed one, you know, the ones with paper that they used to make, if you have one of those still, uh, you'll want to go to Acts chapter 16. That's where I'm going to be spending most of my time today. But I have a number of other scriptures that I will get to. But before we do that, we're going to open in prayer. Lord, we open our hearts to you this morning. We invite, Lord, the power of your Holy Spirit to be working amongst us. God, that you would be uncovering things in our hearts, Lord, that you would be doing surgery on the places where you want to make adjustments, where you want to bring encouragement, where you want to bring adjustment, whatever it is you want to do in our hearts today, Lord, we submit ourselves to you during this time as we look at your word. Lord, your word is powerful and active. It goes out and does something in us. And as we look at it today, Lord, we want it to do something in us, to encourage us in our journey, to strengthen us, to comfort us, to bring truth into our lives when there's so much going on, just the ringing of the world in our ears. Lord, we want to look at your truth and be comforted and strengthened in your truth today. So, Father, we submit this time to you. Lord, I ask that you would lead me as I talk today. God, you are my rock and my fortress and strong tower. Lord, you're the reason we gather. You're the only reason we can do any of this. Lord, you provide the strength. You provide the direction. You are the power in all of this. And so we submit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to revisit a passage in Colossians chapter 1 uh, before we get to the story of the Philippian jailer. Um, but in Colossians chapter 1, 28, 29, I left off with this a few weeks ago when I was speaking. And we were looking at Paul and Paul's motivations, the Apostle Paul, and, and how he viewed the Christian journey and how it impacts our lives today. Him, speaking of Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone... And teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. We get a glimpse here into maybe what was a goal in Paul's mind for the Christians that he was ministering to and in the churches he was planting and then continuing to assist in their journey. He wanted to be able to present everyone mature. And even today, as we study the word of God that was brought to us through Paul, we are taking steps towards maturity as this word 
produces fruit in our lives. And so they're proclaiming, they're warning, they're teaching. All those things are legitimate components of the gospel. And all of this so that a maturity would begin to take root in people's lives. And today I want to continue to talk about some some thoughts or a thought that I have about becoming mature. This is something that we need to take inventory every once in a while in our own personal lives and say, am I becoming mature? Am I on that journey that Paul was encouraging us in, in his word? Am I going to God and looking to grow up, in a sense, spiritually? was Paul's goal for us. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, the author of Hebrews says this, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. And he goes on to list a number of other things. But I want to focus in on what the author of Hebrews also had to say. Let's go on towards maturity. Let's not just learn the very basic beginning things and remain infantile in our spirituality for the rest of our lives. Let's go on from there and become mature. And then he starts to give us a glimpse into what some of those elementary doctrines are that he was talking about. Repentance from dead works, faith towards God. Some of those things that we are in the very beginning of our journey with Christ. What is repentance? We talked about this a while ago. A definition I ran across that I think really illustrates it very well is that repentance is the ruthless dismantling of a mindset. And the deliberate or purposeful uh, journey towards rebuilding a new one. You know, really literally repentance is to just turn and go the other way. But, but the concept of repentance is an aggressive change, a deliberate change. I'm going to go another direction. I'm going to structure my life differently. I'm going to think differently about something. I'm going to go an entirely different direction. And maybe when you met Jesus... Maybe when the gospel came into your life, you made dramatic shifts in your lifestyle. I did. I made dramatic changes to the way I was living because I was so impacted. And and I couldn't help but just repent in my heart and go, I can't keep going this way. I have to change my mind, change my direction, change how I think, and I need to go a different direction. And my faith in God begin to grow. And we see that this is an elementary doctrine that Paul says, let's not keep revisiting that. Let's go on to some more mature things. But I don't want to go on to the more mature things today. I want to talk about, hey, what are we celebrating this coming weekend? That Christ was born on the earth. That we have the opportunity to repent. We, we couldn't even do it on our own. This isn't something that we just conjure up in ourselves and work out some energy where it's like, I'm just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and be godly. It's something that God blesses us, us with through his grace. Because he has mercy. He transforms us. He brings, you know, if you dive into the, the doctrine of salvation, the soteriology, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of detail there that we could get into about, well, what happens first? Do I, does the Holy Spirit convict me? Do I make the choice? Does God empower me to make the choice? How does the sovereignty of God and the free will of man and all these things work together in that moment of salvation? I don't, I don't know this is particularly helpful right now to unpack all those things. Here it is. God came to save the lost. And we come to a point in our lives where we turn and go another direction. God just, he touches our hearts and we, we change, we transform. very beginning step that you know when we're when we're born again 
as Jesus called it. Born a second time. Not in a physical way, but it's like we get a do-over in life. A restart. A new birth. I can become a different person. I can become more like Christ. I can change the course of my de- destiny. I can change my family tree. I can, I can become a patriarch for something great in the future. Because God brings that kind of transformational power. And we will begin to... The beginning of that story in many ways is with God sending His Son. Which we will celebrate on Christmas. I read a quote from Focus on the Family this week says the Christian message of salvation is simple enough for everyone to understand but deep enough to entail a lifetime of study and that's true isn't it it's so simple in some ways like when when we first first meet Jesus we it's just like wow I believe that I'm gonna do that Therefore, I I made a choice and I just, I did it. But then as time goes on, we realize, wait a minute, God was so in that. His spirit was there. He was leading me on a journey. He gave me the faith to even be able to do that. And he's been with me every step of the way. But in the beginning, it's very, very simple. We must never grow weary of the basic truth of our gospel. It's so easy to get sucked into an argument or apologetics when it comes to the issue of Christianity and salvation. And, and we want to get into, in go to great lengths to persuade people. And I think there's a lot of good in those things. But we can never get away from the very core, basic, powerful thing in our gospel, which is salvation. Good news for a world that needs good news. Do you believe that the world needs good news? Man, I almost every time I open my news app, I'm like, why did I do that? But I do it all the time. I just habitually, I'm like looking at the news. And I'm like, why do I look at the news? I want to be informed. I really do. But it's so disheartening and heartbreaking to see so many different things all over the world. Let alone our own nation, the difficulties and the challenges people face. And it's sad and it's tragic. And to realize that all this begins because we abandoned God's ways in the beginning. We sinned in the garden. We've rebelled against God. And sin has had a powerful, powerful impact on our lives and who we are. And it does even today. People don't like it that much when preachers talk about sin. It's like what we focus on. But I... I don't think that's the case, but I do not want to underestimate how egregiously evil and powerful sin is. Look at what it's done to humanity. Look at what it continues to do to humanity. We sometimes need to take the time to look closely and go, am I in alignment with God on these issues? Am I going his direction? Am I following his way? Am I operating his principles? Because when I deviate away from God and I operate in other principles, I am setting myself up to reap destruction in my life because of the power of sin. And yet, we also then have this grace of God in our lives. This gospel, this good news, this forgiveness, this transformational power at our disposal that we can access and that we can be comforted in and forgiven in and walk in transformed life and bring a healthy transformational gospel into the world around us. C.S. Lewis said, 
in, in his book, Mere Christianity. Now today, this moment, is our chance to choose the right side. God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever. We must take it or leave it. That's a little uncomfortable, but very real. Here we are in a period of time where we have the sacrifice of Jesus Christ at our right right here, accessible to us and accessible to the world around us. And that won't last forever. He will return. And so when we're talking, like last week, Paul was talking about taking the gospel to all nations. God wants to take this good news to every corner of the earth, to give every opportunity and chance for those that would have faith to turn their lives over to him and experience that rebirth inside. And yet in this life, even in that, that transformational power of the gospel when it comes to us, it, it doesn't give us the impression that we walk perfectly the rest of our days or that our salvation process is entirely complete. We look forward to the day when we get a new body, right? When this sinful, broken, dying body is reconciled to God and we live in an eternal state. There's eternal life for us. What a hopeful message. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? Come on. Do you really believe that? It can be hard. It can be hard sometimes. But do we really believe that God is holding out this opportunity to humanity, as C.S. Lewis pointed to? And we are the heralds of that message. We are the people who through our daily lives and our regular relationships and everyday way of life are preaching the gospel. To the people that we interact with, live with, go to school with, all these things. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone again to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of this message, but I think it's great for us to have to wrestle with. Have I become dull of hearing? Am I paying attention to what God wants me to do? Am I listening for his leadership in my heart and in my soul? For though by this time you ought to be teachers. And again, he's, there's an emphasis here by the author of you, you ought to be growing towards a maturity of some kind. That you cannot forever just be a learner. You've got to begin to participate again, participate in the teaching component or the, the bringing of this truth into other people's lives. And I think, you know, we can look at that and go, so does that mean we all should aspire to do what JR is doing right now by standing in front of the congregation and teaching? I don't think so. But as we mature, we also have to wrestle with the idea that I have a part to play in the bringing of this good news into other people's lives. And I wonder, can we really explain the gospel to people? If it really is as simple as... Uh, focus on the family said so simple that anyone can understand and yet so deep we could spend a lifetime studying it i wonder if we take inventory am i able to really articulate this good news to the people around me and in this christmas season when we're celebrating the birth of christ can i really tell the story of redemption can i really articulate to anyone that might want to know how they might be saved he goes on, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. What does he, 
What does the author of Hebrews draw attention to when focusing on the maturing process? The person who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Now, all these things have a negative connotation to them. I realize that. And so that's not what I'm not trying to put something on you in a negative way. What I'm trying to say is look at how they evaluate the author's Paul and the author of Hebrews evaluate maturity. How are they looking at it? What what kind of parameters are they using to decide what immature and mature are? Unskilled in the word of righteousness. And I wonder, we're talking about this, remember I used the word a few weeks ago, you know, in, in the Great Commission, Jesus said, go and make disciples. Make disciples. And I said in the Greek, that's one word, not two words. And so if we were to translate it in JR's goofy form of English, we'd call it discipleize. We are called to discipleize all nations, every one of us, and collectively. It's a collective effort. It takes everyone's gifts, everyone's talent, everyone's personality, working together to discipleize one another and anyone that God might bring into our family. And one of the the major components of that is being skilled in the word of righteousness. I hope to provoke you a little bit today to kind of, maybe you're going to make a New Year's resolution or something where you decide, I want to become skilled in the word of righteousness. Am I skilled with this gospel? You don't have to have a theology degree. You don't have to be a preacher or pastor or priest or monk or any of those kind of things. We can all be skilled in the word of righteousness. Can we tell the story of the gospel? Can we introduce people to Jesus? Can we teach those basic things? It should be an objective for all of us in our journey towards maturity to become skilled in the word of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice of distinguishing good from evil. There's a constant distinguishing that we're having to do in life. We're encountering all kinds of conflicts and situations and, you know, just such a variety of things where we have to look at the Word of God and evaluate and distinguish what is godly, what is not godly. Not that we fill all these legalistic requirements, but that we believe that the character and the nature of God brings blessing and direction and healthy things to our lives. I want to live a healthy life. So as much as I can bring myself into alignment with God's ways, I'm going to be healthy. And the more I ignore his ways and the more I go my own way, which is really by definition sin, the more destruction I'm going to reap in my life. So I want to be able to distinguish good from evil. Not that I can be a judgmental, legalistic, ultra-critical Christian and beat up other people with, with my Bible, but so that I can more and more bring myself into alignment with the maker of all things who loves me and desires for these blessings to be in my life. So we've got we to wrestle with becoming mature, and part of that maturity is being skilled in this word of righteousness. And I want to come back again. Can we... Do we know how to encourage others in the gospel? I want to look at the story today of the Philippian jailer. And we looked at this in one context uh, several months ago when we were preaching about resting in God. And I will address that as we go. I'm going to begin in Acts 16, uh, verse 25, it looks like. So here's the situation. 
Paul has taken that commission of Jesus Christ seriously. He is taking the gospel to the nations. He's going from town to town. He's preaching the gospel. Anybody that believes, he baptizes, he makes them a part of the church. And they get a church going and, he, and they go on to the next town. And Paul is a great example. And that's why we're, we're going to look at this example when we're thinking about how, how does this happen? How does this process happen for people that they become saved? And so they're in Philippi, and there's been a girl who is, has a, uh, a demon that tells her the future. And she's making a huge amount of money. She's a slave girl. She's making a huge amount of money for her masters, fortune-telling for people. And, um, you know, whether or not it was the future, I, you know, I guess there's a whole theological debate there, but... Paul gets tired of her because she's following them around and she's saying, these guys are preaching the message of salvation. Listen to them. Now you'd think Paul would like the free advertising, but rather he's annoyed by this evil spirit that's in this girl that's manifesting through her following them around. And finally he gets so annoyed he turns around and he casts a demon out of the girl. This makes her masters angry because she can no longer make them money. So they strip their clothes off of them and beat them with rods. Anyone that had that happen? Because I'll stop preaching now and you can come tell the story. This is intense. Put yourself in Paul and Silas's shoes. What, does, what is that like? That pain, the bruises on your body, maybe some broken ribs, the blood. What was that like? To be beaten, they're thrown in jail, their feet are put in shackles. And this is where we pick up the story. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The last time we talked about this story, I focused on this. In order to rest in God, we need to practice the sovereignty of God, trusting God in all circumstances. I want you to imagine what it would be like. I mean, I can almost see the movie script, see the movie playing out on a screen in my mind. You've been beaten. You're hurting. They probably couldn't even sleep sitting there in those shackles and... But they were singing. They were honoring God. They'd just been beaten for the gospel. They could be angry. They could be frustrated. They could be in despair. Where would you be if you were in those shoes? If the public came in the building right now and drug you outside and beat you and threw you in jail, would you be singing songs of praise and praying in jail? It's a challenge, isn't it? I'd be cussing about it probably. I would hope that I could respond like these guys did. In the midst of their trial, they were singing and praising God. And the prisoners were listening. It is no accident that this finds its way into the Word of God. Picture yourself there. These two guys have just been beaten, but they're praying and they're singing. And what are you hearing? You're hearing about this God. You're hearing these prayers of these powerful men of God. You're learning something from it. I don't, I don't know what they were say, praying about or what they were singing, but the prisoners around them were listening. And I wonder what the prisoners around them were hearing. And then I wonder what the prisoners around me are hearing. The people around me that are shackled, that are in despair, that are hurting and brokenhearted, are they hearing songs of praise and prayer from me? Maybe not literally, but when they look at my life, 
and they interact with me? Are they rubbing shoulders with God himself? Are they feeling the Holy Spirit through my life? Are they wondering and listening? What are the prisoners around you hearing? Those that have not given their lives to Christ. Those that are suffering and hurting. As you go through this world, what are the prisoners around you hearing? Let's go on. And suddenly, God works in suddenlies. And suddenly, I doubt coincidentally, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Have you had a suddenly moment in your life? When was the moment that, you know, some of you maybe grew up in church and you got saved like 45 times as a kid in Sunday school and you don't remember any particular moment. But for some of us, there was a moment when you just went... I just had an earthquake. I just had a storm. I just had difficulty. Something happened that was orchestrated by the sovereignty of God. And it looked destructive. And it scared me. And it, whatever it was, it was a moment that God orchestrated in my life. God orchestrated this. This is no coincidence that God brought about an earthquake. God is not afraid to bring around earthquakes. Or storms. Or people, circumstances, difficulties. He let Paul and Silas be beaten that day. God will bring difficulty into your life and it will get your attention. God's not squishy. (laughs) He loves you intensely, but he's not squishy. He will bring the earthquakes if he has to. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Have you been there? Do you know someone there? What am I drawing attention to here? What am I trying to... I think you hear what I'm saying. Maybe, Maybe it wasn't like this for you, but... For some, this is what it feels like. They're ready to be done. They've drawn their sword. They're looking at the circumstance around them. They're supposing some things are true that aren't. And they draw their sword and go, I've had enough. I'm at the end of my rope. For many, many, many of us, our relationship with God is spurred on. It either begins or it is regularly spurred on by those moments that we are at the end of our rope. And we draw the sword and we go, I've had enough. Do you know people at the end of their rope? Are you at the end of yours? A place of desperation. And what are the things that we listen to when we're in that place? I think we all can identify with what it feels like to despair. There are some people, our friend Ray Lowe from England, he's a elderly chap (laughs) and he says I was a happy pagan when God found me Ray was happy with his life he wasn't expecting anything different and God just met him in a moment for some of us that's true but for many it's out of the difficulty the earthquake the supposing that something has happened now in this case he's supposing that the prisoners escaped and he's going to kill himself because it's going to cost him his life probably has some honor thing or something like that But when you're in that deep, dark spot, 
And I'm not, I'm, I'm talking about, I'm saying you, but really what I'm trying to prompt you to think about is other people in your life. Other people that you interact with. Are they there? Are they at that point where they're supposing that there's no hope? They suppose that the world is is over for them. They suppose that God has judged them and left them for dead. They suppose that nobody cares. They suppose that there's no way out. They just suppose these things that aren't even true. And they've drawn their sword and they're finished with life. Whether, Whether in actuality or in their hearts, they've just given up. And I wonder if we would be like Paul and Silas in this moment. We would recognize the opportunity. We would see what's going to happen. And we look at Paul as our example, and this is what happens. But Paul cried out. Do we recognize those moments when it's our opportunity to cry out to someone? Don't harm yourself. Now, I do not necessarily mean literally. You're in your office this week and someone's despairing. You go, don't do it! Don't do that, okay? But what did, what, what did Paul do? He took action. Whatever action was necessary in that moment, Paul took it to stop the jailer from ending his own life. Paul cried out, do not harm yourself. For we are all here. Now let's think about this for a second. This is a little... I don't know why. I don't want to read into the scripture what it does not say. But it is an interesting exercise. Why didn't they run away? I mean, Paul and Silas are singing. They're hearing these prayers. This earthquake happens. They have the opportunity to flee. They don't. I don't know why. But it's interesting to me. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Why did he fall down in fear? I I can't read his mind. The scripture doesn't say exactly why. But he was very afraid. And I, I, you know, we can speculate about what that is. But he's just witnessed this series of events. And then he asked them this question. Sirs. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? How did he even know to ask that question? I guess what I'm really getting at is God is at work in people's hearts. He's luring them towards himself. And this jailer is sitting there. He's listening to these Christians around him who are in his prison. And then he recognizes something in the moment and he knows that these guys have the answer. He didn't go to anybody else in the jail. He went to those who they were listening to. They were listening to their songs of praise and their prayers. And I wonder if the people around us, when they're hearing, what I mean by hearing is they are witnessing your everyday life. Not that we need to put on something fake, not at all. People smell disingenuousness from a mile away. But then in our real journey in life and living in a very real way before God, people are listening and they're hearing. And these moments come in life where perhaps they will run to you or I and say, what's going on? How do you manage this? Who is God in this situation? How can you? And whatever it is, God orchestrates these moments in other people's lives. And guess who he uses to bring this saving knowledge and hope to their lives? Everyone in this room. 
You don't have to be a preacher or a pastor. Anything like that. We just have to be skilled in the word of righteousness. What is the story? What is the truth? Not the deep complexities of the sovereignty of God and the soteriology. The very simple message of the gospel. So what does Paul do? He says here, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They give him a very complex, long, in-depth theological answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Period. Is it complicated? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then what did they do? And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. It's not complicated. God is luring you to, to believe. And, and believe is, is not mental acknowledgement of facts. It's to actually believe something. If I believe that he is the king, then he is the king. And that brings transformational power into our lives. But what did Paul do? So if we look to Paul as our example, he doesn't make it complicated, but he was able to speak the word. See, one of the phrases that we use in terms of discipleship or disciplizing people is we want to help people go from that infancy to maturity, from being a consumer to beginning to contribute as well, to play an active part, to be able to speak the word of God. We need to be people that are skilled in the word of righteousness. So when we have the opportunity, we, have, we can speak into people's lives. See, I mean, I preaching is this way. I, I have lots of things to say. I say lots of words while I'm up here. But what carries the weight of the message? The scripture. The word of God. It is the word of God that is alive and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. Not J.R.'s words. Not my clever arguments. Not my wonderful examples. Or my deadpan humor. Right? It's the Word of God that brings the power that changes lives. And your responsibility is just to speak the truth. Just to speak the Word. What is the Word? Am I skilled in it? In the simplest ways. In the simplest ways. And that is part of our journey towards maturity. The story goes on. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them up into his house, set food before him, and he rejoiced. Okay, and he took them. He was baptized at once. What did Peter say on the day of Pentecost? When they were, they were cut to the heart by Peter's message, and they say, what must we do? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. We see this pattern over and over in the New Testament where they turn away, they're baptized, they're, they're turning over a new leaf, they're dismantling a mindset and going another, another direction and they're, they're taking these actions that are evidences of, of this faith that has just taken over their life and baptism is one of them. He was baptized at once, he and his family. There's, maybe you caught this here. What does it say? He and his household. He and his family. We live in a very, very independent-minded culture, but that's not necessarily the case in the scripture 
He was the head of his household, and his whole household was baptized. He was the leader there. I don't, I don't want to read too much into that, but it's an interesting cultural thought and wondering what that means in context with the rest of Scripture. And he rejoiced. And isn't this wonderful? What did that look like? I mean, I want you to just think about what this couple of hours was like. I'm black and blue, bleeding. I probably have a headache. I may have broken bones. I had my clothes ripped off of me in front of people, and I was beaten and humiliated. And all I was trying to do was the right thing. Gosh. So I'm sitting there in prison. I'm singing. I'm praying. And this earthquake happens, which is scary enough. And then the jailer's going to kill himself, but then he gets saved. And so we go to his house for dinner. And now we're rejoicing. What a wild couple of hours. But isn't it wonderful to rejoice with someone? What a, what a precious thing. There's not enough rejoicing in the world. What was it like in that house for the jailer and his family and for Paul and Silas to rejoice together, to celebrate? What a wonderful moment and what a wonderful fruit that you and I get to enjoy as a part of our journey to be able to celebrate with our brothers and sisters in Christ what we're, what we're participating in on the earth. Paul was a master at articulating things. He, you know, he wrote so many letters in the, in, in the New Testament and we believe it's the inspired word of God. And, you know, Paul, I just want to remind us all of just some of these very basic things. I'm going to go through them very quickly as I just have a few minutes left. Romans chapter 3, or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are things that you and I, if we want to look to Paul as our example, how did Paul articulate salvation? We look at things like the Romans Road or other scriptures where we, we just tell the story in the simplest of ways. The wages of sin is death. Sin has broken creation. Man has gone his own way. It's why we suffer because of sin. We should hate sin. It's so destructive in our lives. And yet, we're still broken and we keep screwing up. So we need the grace and forgiveness of God. It's a free gift. God has given us eternal life. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. And we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. All have sinned, but we're justified by grace. We can receive it by faith. Romans chapter 2. He will render to each one according to his works. Wait a minute, I have work to do? Yeah, we got work to do. It's going to be a joyous and wonderful work. And someday we'll look back on it all and be so thankful that God included us in his work on the earth. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience, and it does take patience, because we have life to walk through that's not easy but difficult. It takes patience. In well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Yikes. Last passage. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 16, for, all, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Our gospel is so simple. So easy to understand and yet you could spend a lifetime 
digging into it. And indeed, we will spend our lifetime bringing it to the world around us. We're all on this transformational journey towards maturity in Christ. And we ought to make it our goal to move from the milk to the solid food. From always learning to be able to teach as well. Skilled in that word of truth. That we might live out the purpose that he came. We're going to celebrate Christmas. There's a reason he came. Not just so we could have gifts and sing songs. But there's a mission. That he instigated by coming and paying the price. Jesus came so that the world might be saved through him. And you and I are agents of that mission. Imagine what God would do with a church, with a group of people that is skilled in the word of righteousness. I think we could bring transformation to this community. I think we'd see some of you at the ends of the earth bringing that gospel. There is a mission for all of us. Would you stand, please? When I wrap up prayer today, listen, if if you have never really put your life in the hands of Jesus Christ, if you've never really believed and and you, you look in this and go, I want to be saved, what must I do? And we look at these passages today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We'd love to pray with you today. I would love to. I'd love to rejoice with you that you're stepping into that transformational life with Jesus Christ. But if you'd like to receive prayer for anything else today, we'll have a prayer team up on my left over here that would be happy to pray with you after the service and we pray. Lord, we come before you now, Lord, thankful for your word. God, your word that just we were all like that jailer in some way where we heard and we wondered and we had a moment And we turn our lives over to you. Be our king. Be our savior. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the abundant grace and mercy that you have for us. That while on one hand we are pushing towards maturity and we've got a lot we want to accomplish, but we we understand none of it happens without your grace and mercy guiding us every step of the way, forgiving us for our mess-ups, and there are plenty of those. God, we're just thankful. God, I pray for everyone here today, Lord, that their hearts would be malleable in your hands, that you would be able to shape us all like clay, to form something fruitful and wonderful of our lives. God, help us to continue to answer the call and live the mission that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.